This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Dato Download Podcast, a part of the Peer Style Podcast family of shows. I'm Shotgun Spratling, alongside co-host Jack Smith, and we're here to bring you the latest on the USC baseball program, the greatest college baseball program in all the land, having won 12 national championships. I say it once again, that's twice as many as the next closest school. Jack, how are we doing today? I'm doing very well, Shotgun. Moving out at USC in a couple days, but still have some time to talk some USC baseball. Jackson, fitting it into his schedule. First off, Jack, I think we have to apologize to the listeners for not having a show last week. Just want to point out we didn't skip just because USDD didn't have a great weekend at Washington. We're not a front-running podcast like that. Unfortunately, life gets in the way every once in a while, and it got in the way of the podcast. We had some heavy rains here. I had some. I was actually dealing with some flooding in the basement, uh, along with some family members being sick. You know, We're talking nieces and nephews, projectile vomiting. So if anyone's got some cleaning tips on uh, for a microfiber couch, feel free to send those my way. Um, and for Jack, you know, it's just college life getting in the way for Jack. He's busy studying for some finals when he wasn't calling the USC game down at the Angel Stadium and following the, and the Trojans uh, in their midweek games this past week. But but really, Jack, you you study sometimes sparingly, but it's what's more the packing right now. That's that's the big thing. <laughs> Well, I hope you're you're packed up, ready to go. I think you I hope you studied up today. We've got a fun show for the Dato Download fans. We'll take a quick look back at what happened the previous week as well as break down last week's action, assess where the Trojans stand right now, kind of back in the postseason mix. What are their postseason chances? We'll preview the upcoming week. But first, we have another special guest joining us this week. We're really excited that we were able to wrangle up USC hitting coach and recruiting coordinator Travis Jewett. Delighted to have him come on to kind of impart some wisdom, give us an inside look at the Trojans and the offense. TJ's been one of my favorite uh, college baseball coaches to talk to from his time at Vanderbilt and to Lane to now being back in the Pac-12. If you don't know much about him, just know that USC getting him was Basically a coup for Andy Stankowitz. He was one of, if not the top assistant coach on the market this offseason. He comes with a championship pedigree, helped Vandy win a national championship 2014. Commodores made it back to the championship series the following year. That led to him being named the head coach of Tulane, where he had it led them to 30-plus wins in each of his final three seasons. I just love the Tulane's mascot is the Green Wave. I know USC fans are not really big Green Wave fans after that football game, but, uh, you know, Though it's been a couple years, Jewett also knows the Pac-12 really well. He was an assistant at Washington for three years, Washington State for five years, Arizona State for three years before the taking the Vanderbilt job. And the most notable thing is probably that every time in those little windows he was there was when those programs were their best, which tells you, you know, the impact that he's had. He's helped develop a number of major league talents, including guys like Jason Bay, Dansby Swanson, Brian Reynolds, Cole Calhoun, Austin Barnes, Mike Yastrzemski. 
know, he's also recruited a number of major league pitchers as well during his time. He did not necessarily working directly with them, but guys like, I don't know if you've heard of Walker Bueller with the Dodgers or Kyle Wright with the Braves, even Tim Lincecum back in the day. So, you know, he's got a great pedigree as, you know, a number of major leaguers. And we hope to see some of those major league talents coming through USC in the future years. Uh, if we, as long as, you, as Andy can keep him around uh, before he gets another head coaching job. But without further ado, let's welcome in USC assistant Travis Jewett. TJ, thanks for taking the time to join the, the Dato Download podcast. Well, thank you guys. Uh, fight on. I appreciate you having me. Uh, what a kind introduction. I'll have to slide you a few <laughs> tickets underneath uh, for that. But uh, thank you. I've been very blessed. Uh, those are all things of my past. What's most important is what's currently happening today. This day is the most important. I've got these beautiful three letters on my chest here in front of me. So honored to be here. Uh Stank, the staff, uh, this has been absolutely tremendous. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just blessed to be here and see what I can do to try to help these kids become the best versions of themselves. So, like you said, we've kind of got ourselves maybe back on the track a little bit, which is cool when you're talking about eight games left in the season. I think that's every program's objective is at the end of the season, uh, at least be somewhat in the equation, your name on a board somewhere, uh, being talked about, those types of things. So um, happy for the kids, really, guys, in terms of just sensing some success this year and just the chance that maybe we could continue to uh, get ourselves into the Pac-12 tournament to start and then see where that could take us maybe uh, earlier part of June. So thanks again for having me. Look forward to this, man. I, I always enjoy talking about the kids and you want to talk about the bat and all that stuff like that? I get fired up, so thank you. <laughs> well, you guys are coming off a huge series win over number 17, Oregon. Breathe a little bit of life back into that postseason hopes after you had a rough weekend prior at Washington. And you guys have done this a couple times now. What's been the key for you guys to get back on track, something that you know, you've had to do after getting you know swept at Oregon State, swept at Washington, especially the Washington one where you felt like you were in control of a couple of those games and let them slip away? How did you, you know, how did you, were you guys able to get the, the kids to bounce back and come back and play against a really tough Oregon team that was rolling coming into this weekend? Well, shoot, if we just schedule all the games at home, right, we'd be <laughs> fine because we seem to do pretty good right here. As I look out at one of the most beautiful fields in, in the country, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, you know, a little bit of road, I think. Um, here's the deal, guys. You know, baseball, it's a, it's an up and down deal, right? It's hard to, to, uh, you know, stay on the up all the time. Other teams are good too, you know, and sometimes when you don't play well or the other team plays well, that, that can be uh, the effect of losing. I thought we had some great opportunities in those six games that you're talking about. Uh, I'm not saying win all six, but the old shoulda, woulda, coulda, those were all in there. Um, and I think that's what we try to do. Uh, we try to stay in the present. We try to take what I refer to as the midline. And when we're going good, it's like get back to the midline. And when we're going kind of bad or it's not going our way, which we've had some pockets of that way, just get back to the midline. We don't we don't have to stay down here. We we can just get ourselves going again. You know, I told the hitters the other day, my wife and you referenced Washington State back in the day, and it was a uh, a build there. And I remember things were a struggle, shotgun and jack. It was struggle. 
And my wife told me one time, it was kind of a quote from uh, President Roosevelt. It was just like, you know, don't hold your position so close to your ego that when your position fails, your ego goes with it, you know? And so we've just got to do what learning is. And that's just take all the garbage, I like to say. And that's what people can pick up and throw away, right? And the recycling is what they reuse. And those are the good things that we can learn from. And we just, you know, hey, it's a new day. It's a new opportunity. Don't stop believing. Keep competing. Keep improving. Keep investing. Um, the best teams I've played on have had some bumps in the road, some obstacles. It hasn't always been undefeated and perfect. That's baseball. Um, but can we play our best baseball at the right time of the year? And that's when? That's right now. And so hopefully this last weekend against a very good Oregon team um, and, and having some success there uh, will continue to breed that uh, going forward because I think that's what we want to do is be playing our best baseball. So the kids, guys, have done just a great job. They they just keep showing up. They just keep showing up. They don't, you know what I mean? We don't have a 10-pound weight around our neck and we're just dragging and I think Coach Stankowitz has done a great job with this. Um, this is a program uh, for the players, man. This is built on positivity and, and investment, I like to say, you know, and, and just like relationships and like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And we're not into, you know, being negative and just letting it all kind of build up. It's just like, okay, let's learn and let's keep moving. Let's just learn and keep moving. Let's learn and keep moving. And uh, the kids have been just awesome. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I like them all. Like, they're just, whether they're hitting 200 or 400 or whatever like that, they're all just here. They're present. They want to do good. They want to do what they can to help. And um, I would say the kids are just kind of staying in the now. And, uh, you know, they're able to kind of get up off the ground. And we talk a lot about sometimes you got to keep your dukes up. When you get swept at Oregon State, you know, your duke's going to kind of go down because you get a bunch of blows. You just got to keep them up. You just got to keep fighting and uh, good things will come our way. So um, the kids still think we can do this, you know, and I think that's the most important thing. And so uh, I certainly do too. And uh, we have a, we have enough guys and talent in this group to uh, make this a reality. So let's just uh, keep it rolling. Yeah. Even during the losing skid, you guys were putting hits on the scoreboard. It just was a matter of getting a hit when it really mattered with runners in scoring position with two outs. How do you handle a stretch as a hitting coach where your team's hitting, but they're not hitting when it really counts to put runs up on the board? You know, that's a great question. Um, Cause it's kind of a catch 22, right? It's like, we could like not have any runners on base and not get any hits. And that would be another mathematical equation, how to not score runs, you know? So um it just comes down to, again, you're only as good as the pitch you swing at. Is your approach clear? Are we swinging at the right pitches? Do we know this guy's going to throw a breaking ball right here with a runner scoring position on the first pitch and, like, flip it over the plate like in college baseball and actually maybe sit on it and smash it? Or are we taking it? Or, you know what I mean? Um, and it's just about putting a good at bat together. And, you know, of, of a day or a reference, Jack, that you're talking about, Say we leave a, a day, we leave 12 or on, you know, it's like not all 12 of those are just like close your eyes, swing and miss and look like crud. You know, there could be a quality of bat in there. Ball just doesn't find the outfield grass or whatever you want to say. And it's like, 
shucks and darn and all that stuff like that. But I, when it when I get those types of things with the kids, I'm like, this is a good problem. This is a good problem. We got guys on. It's called traffic, man. Those are bases. We got to touch them all before we can hit home. And so just keep pressing. Just keep putting them on. Just keep putting them on. And we'll get that at bat, right? We've proved that throughout the course of the year. I would much rather have that and then not get the big hit than I would just be like walking back to the dugout all the time. So again, positive, stay with it. Here we are. It's my third, fourth at bat, how they try to pitch me, deductive reasoning. You know, Dave Winfield said it best. He's like, you got your deal. I got mine. Now we're just going to try to work it out, you know, so uh, making sure the guys are clear that way, have good plans. And at the end of the day, right, it's just like, is my plan clear? Is it vague, positive, and aggressive? You know, am I swinging at the right pitches? And if I can say yes to all those, and then I'm actually have timing and rhythm to what pitch I'm looking for, those answers are yes, then those balls are going to hit the outfield grass more than not when we need them and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, it, the kids are doing well. I think in my mind, you know, we've exceeded maybe uh, what I thought we would do offensively. That's a cool thing. You're looking at guys that tickle me, right? The Olmsteads and Wells and Gabrielson, the guys that are like playing every day that have been here. They're having career years, man, you know, and uh, they're doing some really nice things and, and they've been very productive cogs um, in our success. So, you know. Just uh, hitting is this, guys. It's repetitions and adjustments. You got to do it a lot, you know, and you got to you got to learn how your body works, and you got to be able to make adjustments. And when it feels good, you got to be able to repeat it. And when it doesn't, you got to be able to quickly get back to that midline we're talking about and go. So, um, traffic's good. It sucks when you're on the freeway trying to get home and all that, but when you're on the base pass, offensively at least, it's a cool thing. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll cash in on those more than not. Yeah, being a being a p- former pitcher, uh, traffic sucks as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, on the yeah, baseball right? field as well. Uh, not necessarily for you guys, but I mean, yesterday you guys have 13 hits, and you, the long ball has been you know a big part of your guys' success at times this season. But yesterday, 12 singles, a lot of them with two outs. I thought that was really interesting. Do you guys do you have the hitters change their approach with two outs, or is it just a continuation? Because uh, I know a lot of times, you know, when there's no outs or one outs, hey, maybe you want to be have a positive at bat, you want to move a guy over. Does the approach change with two outs where it's all about, you know, trying to find that hit? Absolutely not. It's like a go mode from no outs to two outs. And what we like to say, and you guys have been around, you might hear it from the dugout, two outs, even like let's add two strikes and no balls and no runners on base. And our guys are in the dugout going lot of inning left because there is right. It's just like, Jack, it's this now here's this pitch, this pitch, not the two pitches before, not the 17 pitches for the two outs before it's at this pitch. And I just want to commit to first base. I just want to find first. And if I can find first, then I can take this bat or baton and I can just pass it to the next guy. It's got a batting order. And then it's his turn now. And then I can go to the base and I can, you know, know what the score is and how aggressive I can be. And we just want to just keep going. And we just tell the guys, listen, nobody's running over to grab your gloves until the third out. It's like when the umpire says switch sides, we'll switch sides. But until then, we're just playing offense, man. And you just don't ever know. Uh, when something might click and uh, we just have a great mindset that way. And if you look at a lot of our scores, 
this year, you, you'll see a lot of very good, productive two-out run scoring. Uh, I really appreciate you saying that. We don't change our swing. We don't do anything different. We just try to do what we always do and just kind of get it going. And I think in the six-inning run inning we had the other day, I think it was the four, I believe, two outs, nobody on, two strikes, two strikes. And four runs. So, and you just referenced that not one of them went over the fence. So the ability to just stay in the now, this pitch, okay, here we go. Have a good at bat, boom, boom, and next thing you know. And so, and like you said, Jack, you know, sometimes two out RBIs, they get a little contagious, you know. And then when we can kind of do it, we just seem to kind of string them together well. So the guys, I think, are doing a good job of understanding that, like, it's like a game. It's just like. When the umpire points the ball in play, we're just going to keep playing both sides of the ball until they take the balls and drop them on the field and say, hey, man, the game's over, then it's over. But the inning's never over, man, until the other team forces us to switch sides. So I think it's a mindset. I think it's kind of a cool thing that the guys are believing in, and we just, we'll just just keep fighting like heck, try to scratch you, you know, as best we can. And then um, we just seem to have the ability to – do some nice things late in the count and stuff like that. And so I'll tell you this, in order for that to be in the equation, a lot of times you're going to get into two outs and two strikes and one out and two strikes. It's your ability to like have a good two strike plan, you know, and put balls in play and challenge people and use the backside of the baseball field. It's a field. It's a, it's like this. It's not like this to the pool side and this sliver of pie. No, like, big pie like you know everybody likes a bigger piece of pie it's like using the offside of the field and when you look at our success we're in the middle of the field man we are driving balls into the backside of the field we call it backside dirt late in the count left you know six hole for the lefties four hole for the righties that's what all of our success is and that just becomes math you know it's just like so when we're good at it we score and, and we do things. And when we're leaky and out front and swinging, and missing more and chasing a little bit more than normal, it's all about like too early commitment, too much pull, too much on the three side of the ball. And so I think the guys have a pretty good understanding of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to do late. And I think those things have chances to keep innings elongated. And then we've had some nice success with two outs, with two outs, nobody on, with two outs, two strikes. It just doesn't matter. We just, a lot of inning left. Okay. And so that's kind of a motto of ours. Yeah. I mean, obviously you guys came out in a big way yesterday. You mentioned it. I think the first seven runs yesterday were all scored with two outs, um, which was pretty impressive. But um, is there anything that you think that you still need to work on going into these last two Pac-12 series, Arizona State, then Arizona, just just things that you're preaching to the guys that, hey, you know, we got back to hitting with runners on base with two outs. What's the next move of things you feel like you need to improve down the stretch in the conference? You know, I think the things that we preach and we train, then I think the kids understand, like, this is important. And when they know it's important, then it becomes kind of a Mind organizes body, we talk about. And so just really trying to tighten things up here down the stretch, kind of really getting back to the core values of kind of what we're trying to do offensively, you know, in our pregame, Jack, we're doing like, you know, no pop, no pull. You know what that means? Like, don't pop it up and don't pull it. Uh, 
If you do, I might kick you out of the cage. You know what I mean? But it just puts them in there. gives them some mindset. Maybe we'll see a breaking ball, a right-handed pitcher. And we're really trying to, like, hit through the break instead of, like, around the break. And, you know, we try to really tie their eyes from out in the pitcher's hand release to down the front of the plate because that keeps us over the plate with our chest. And when your chest is over the plate, then you can – see the ball longer. And when you see the ball longer, you make better decisions about what you are and aren't swinging at. Did you know Jack and shotgun? That's the key to hitting. And hitting is not always about what you're swinging at. You know, everybody's like, you got to swing at the right pitches. I agree, but I also really, really agree. A lot of times hitting is what you're not swinging at. That's leverage, right? And if we can get the strikes and we can take the balls, then we can get into hitters' counts. Then we can force the ball to get a little bit straighter. Then we can force the ball to get a little bit more over the big, big part of the white, right? And that's just – that's natural, right? When that happens, then I have a chance to probably be a little bit more successful. So, you know, maybe seeing uh, pitches instead of taking swings so we're not just like in swing-swing mode, trying to force direction – Lefty's hitting through breaks, righty's hitting through breaks. See some breaking balls up and realize that we want to try to homer on those. The balls that are the pitcher's breaking balls, we want to try to take those. The ones that are down off of that, those are going down, right? Spin, if it's down to start, it's only going to go further down. It's not going to go down and then back up. I haven't seen that pitch yet, um, you know. And then we can win some pitches. And then if it's late in the count, then all of a sudden I'm back in the count. If it's early in the count, now I get into high advantage. Um, those are important. So you hear me talking about a lot of training mechanisms. We do. We, we like to try to do two-strike fighting in our drills. We're very fortunate that coaches provided us some very high-end computer-like pitching machines that throw three four different pitches at a time we can randomize the program right because hitting is that's what it is you don't always know what's coming when us three were playing baseball back in the day right when the jugs machine was tilted like this <laughs> that's a right-handed slider it's coming out there every time like you just you know no matter what you told me was coming I knew it was coming and when you go this way it's a left-hander you know what I mean and so now we can put balls in machines got these computers and I can go fastballs here and middle or way and in and go up I can go down I can hang breaking balls I can tilt breaking balls I can slow the fastball down to make it act like a change up and we could train like yes that pitch no that pitch okay now it's two and oh and all of a sudden here comes that good change up out of a machine the change up our, our machine has a great change up <laughs> because like we can't see anything we can't arm speed we got body speed it's just like it's a really good change up and it's a good tool because like now so it's like two and oh or three and one and we're like selling out vague positive and aggressive to a fastball and all of a sudden now what we should be so full bat speed out in front of that thing that we almost swing and miss on purpose because of just the intent to get after the fastball that's hitting that's hitting and so just trying to create game-like environments for the guys in the cage and you know doing those types of things the one thing i think you guys if you came and watched us over the course of time, you go, Coach Chewett's not a real, like, trinkety drill guy. Like, you know, he does his flips, and we do some body movement stuff on the tees that I like and stuff like that. But more than anything, like, I like the ball coming at him. Mm -hmm. I want him to force their timing. I want him to force to see it. I want to see recognized balls and strikes and up and compete and 
move offense and all that kind of stuff like that because that's what it's like when you're facing you know good good college pitchers so uh i probably got way off tangent there but you know i told you guys if you ask me about hitting it's going to get a little bit feisty so um yeah but the guys are doing well and uh i think they realize that you know when we go good we do certain things and when we get off track a little bit just got to grab the steering wheel. Just got to get back on there. And when we get back on there, we get rocking and rolling. So hopefully we'll uh, stay on the track here down the next month or so. I, I told you guys I love talking to him because once he gets going, you know, you just get enthralled with listening to him, especially when he starts talking about hitting. Um, oh, thank you. I want to take it a little bit to, you know, your, your recruiting coordinator side. You know, the roster construction I mean, I've been super impressed with what you guys have done this season for the simple fact that Andy was hired late in the cycle. And, you know, USC last year lost a number of players off that team for graduation, draft, and then especially the transfer portal. There just wasn't a ton of bodies and wasn't a ton of talent uh, on the roster in part because of how few bodies there were. And you guys had already kind of missed a little bit of the early transfer cycles. There were some big names that were in the cycle, but there was no Caleb Williams coming to kind of rescue the team and be that, you know, transfer you can build everything around, especially because of how late it was in the cycle. So, you know, how are you guys able to piece together a roster that's been able to compete in the Pac-12 like it is? What kind of attributes did you guys try to target with those few transfer portal pieces you that you were able to build? And, I mean, you guys have done a great job with, you know, the Johnny Olmsteads, the Cole Gaberson, the guys that were already here and, you know, taking them to another level. But what were you looking for in the pieces that you were able to add through the transfer portal? Well, thank you for saying that. You know, it all starts with coach. You know, he's such a, a good teacher and leader and stuff like that. So the guys have, um, you know, really taken to him that way. But you mentioned those guys that I said, the returners that are giving us production. Um, Ryan Jackson, mm-hmm. shortstop, Nevada, Reno. Like you said, we got here. The first kind of cycles over the references of the guys that were here that either signed we didn't get a chance to really talk them into not you know tried a little bit but it was kind of late uh the guys that did transfer they were already transferred when we got here you know so we just had to kind of get the paperwork and kind of fold it out and just go like who we got you know what does it look like we need and then here we go and so obviously um you lose the middle infield from last year, that would be a alert, alert, alert. Like we should probably get a couple guys that could, you know, feel the ground ball and throw it across. Ryan Jackson, guys, has been a rock for us. Uh, he's starting to go better offensively again right now. I thought he was starting to get a little bit choppy. If you notice, Jack, right, the balls are starting to get a little bit more on a line. Um, yeah, that's been but it, it, there's a lot of Velcro in his glove, man. And he's playing a position that that requires it. I'm not saying um, he's the swiftest big league shortstop you've ever seen, but like the balls that he gets to, it's like, and just sticks in there. And then he's got a really good ability to play a nice game of catch, which is what defense is. It's just moving the ball from player to player with efficiency, man. And when he catches it, like you're pretty much out, you know, he threw a ball away the other day and I had to like, kind of grab the bench and go sit down and kind of just go like, am I feeling okay? Cause I haven't seen that from him in a long time. So um, that's a good thing. So he's been steady and, you know, he's played second and a lot of short. Um, 
you know, the Huber, the young man we had that didn't play last year, he's been dinged up again still. So we don't have a lot of depth, as you referred to. Now, that depth's coming now in the recruiting that you've kind of referenced. So that'll be good. Um, so we grabbed him. And then Bryce Martin Grudzalonic was at UCLA as a freshman. Uh, things didn't work out. He's in the portal. He's about ready to move into a junior college. And we're like, maybe not, you know, type of thing. Fortunate to get him. Um, you think that guy is going to be a good player when it's all said and done? Oof. Uh, yeah, that, that's my kind of guy. Tall, skinny, strong, like this guy's going to hit now. And uh, he's played a really good second base too. Like, you know, the ball's hit to him. He, you've been out. And uh, he made a tremendous play, by the way, to end the game last night. I almost thought he like – went at it like it was a 2-1 game and we're just going to get this little shorty and bang this thing. We're up 11-4. I'm thinking like, maybe that's just to stay back and maybe we only get it out. But, uh, boy, man, for good first step into that nice little short hop and kind of a long feed there. So, um, again, sorry for the long-winded, but I, I, I'm in love with these kids, man, because, like, where would we be without them? You talked about Olmstead and, and Gabrielson and Wells and, you know, some of these older guys. Um, but, like, no Jackson, no Grudzalonic. O'Vern's made an impact as a true freshman. Um, Galloway is coming through. You know, Aoki kind of busted his foot up in the UCLA piggy pile. Um, so he's been out. So Galloway's playing more. Connor Cliff's hitting over 300, giving us some things behind the plate when he's called upon. Um, Soderston, right? Come on now. That's, there's some good in there. He was a transfer portal. Caden Aoki, you guys like that? He was like the first guy I think I committed here. Not think, I know. Um, so we've gotten some nice um, contribution from kind of holistically. The returners have gotten better, most of them. The freshmen, come on, Hedges? Like, really? Like, he said 290, man. Like, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, when he's playing out of position, so to speak. He's playing a heck of a first base for us right now as a freshman, because that's been cool. And Overn's been Overn. And like, so we've gotten kind of a nice little three-headed monster from returners that are backed. And we're glad they are because experience is priceless, man. Right? You rented those Vandy teams, it's the ASU teams, like Yastrzemski, senior, senior. You said Cole Calhoun, I believe. Senior, you know what I mean? Uh, older guys like that, it, it's invaluable. And so um, then you add a few nice little transfer portal pieces that have contributed. They're not just here. They've contributed to the success of our team. And that's huge. And then you add the young kids. And so it, it's a it's a nice little combo. So, um, yeah. And so we just kind of identified a little bit about kind of what can we do with what we have. And then uh, we're able to, you know, I think get a little lucky. And yet, same time, you just said it, USC, <laughs> I mean, elite education, 12 national championships, Pac-12, Coach Stankowit. I mean, whew, what a cool deal. You know what I mean? And so – when you have a product and you have an education and you have a coach like that, then that that's like a magnet, man. You can attract people. 
to come be a part of, of what you're trying to do. And I think those kids saw it. I think they saw an opportunity to get on the field and help us win and do all those types of things. And, and, and they've done that. So, um, and then, you know, when you do all that, you got old, you got new and you got new because they're old, but transferring in, that's, that's a lot of different brothers coming from a lot of different mothers, you know, and just to be able to bring everybody together. And I think our kids generally like each other. I think they like playing baseball, right? We always say like, you know, show your teeth, man, smile. You're going to do what you love to do, who you love doing it with every day. I mean, come on, man. This ain't a grind. This is like getting an elite education playing baseball. Like, let's go. So uh, got a nice little product to sell here. And uh, Coach has done just a just a great job of uh, getting a lot of these kids to come be a part of his program. So uh, we're very fortunate. Yeah, I think it's easy at this point in the season to say, you know, O'Vern's been O'Vern, maybe the best freshman in the Pac-12. But, you know, coming into the season – at least for, for fans, you know, people on the outside, relative unknown, you know, what's he going to be? And now he's your leadoff hitter every day, one of the best players in the conference. What what was the point where you realized, like, this kid's something special? When football started sharing him with us a little bit more so that I could <laughs> see him more, so that he could invest more, so that he could make those necessary adjustments in the ball that we thought he needed to make. You know what I mean? It was funny, right? It's like he started showing up more, and then so he started playing catch a little bit more, and all of a sudden, guess what? The arm strength started getting kind of good. Boy, that's funny math, right? Just like doing it more, <laughs> giving him a program and a routine. The swing um, was kind of a high leg lift, which was cool, but like it was just kind of a up, down, not a real like hip gather to move forward, right? Why do you lift your leg and knee trigger? It's to move. Like, you know, hitting is like, it's not about staying back, fellas. It's about like getting gathered and, you know, people are going to say, get coiled up and back kip this and blah, blah, blah. But it's about gathering and controlling your movements forward so that your body can be centered so that you can actually do it. Hitting is nuts turn and like turn fast. And then when you turn fast, you turn opposite. That's called torque and bat speed and margin for error. And those are all the most important things in hitting. And so he started to learn how to like move better, right? And he just started using his athleticism. It's like, you, you're fast. You're fast. You're not a bat foot hitter. And you still see it now. Like when he gets in a little bit of trouble, right? He just kind of gets a little bit stuck back, right? And the eyes kind of get out here and Swing gets a little bit tilted this way. Commitment to hit starts happening a little bit too far out front. And when he's going good, right, he's smashing balls left, left center, pulling balls true with power to right, you know. But uh, And so he's just kind of – he swung more. And you know what he did? He likes to play baseball too. And so he was very invested in working at it. A lot of like text to me, big Jew, big Jew, big Jew, big Jew, one o'clock. 12 o'clock, see you then, can we, yes, please, you know, and he just, short bat, training, repeat, learn, no, yes, and over and over and over and again, and he's become um, a really, really good player. Shotgun, you mentioned, thank you, a lot of these big leaguers that not only I've been fortunate coach, but Jenks and, and, and Sergio and 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 stank obviously <laughs> you you want to ask me if you if i think he's gonna play in the big leagues yeah the answer is yeah 
I mean, this kid can defend center field. There's an accurate arm. The arm strength is growing. I think his power, by the time he gets out of here, I think you guys are going to see something and go like, he's got that kind of juice. Yeah, he got that kind of juice. But we just kind of, you know, trying to harness it right now and just like get him to learn how to hit and the power will come. It, it will. But right now he's he's done a heck of a good job for us. You know, it's not easy throwing a kid like that right into the leadoff hole and say, go get him, big boy, you know. And uh, I think that's another good sign for us, too. Right. I mean, he he, he wouldn't. He'd agree with me, right? He wasn't just ultra productive this weekend, um, you know, and Trojans won two out of three. So we got other pieces, and he's kind of the table setter, and uh, we will need him to get back on track, which I know he will. So, uh, yeah, he special, special talent there now. Well, if the power's coming, he's got to hit a couple more triples than this season. Uh, get that, you know, try to get towards that NCAA record because uh, if the power's coming, then those balls are going out in a couple of years. So absolutely. And guess the- what? We get to play at Arizona in a couple of weeks too, and if <laughs> a single could be a triple in a hurry, right? Because of those big gaps and all it's like that. So there could be a couple more looming in the future. All right, he's definitely uh, he's he's a guy that honestly I I stop whatever I'm doing when it comes on when I get done covering a game here on the East Coast and you know I flip on to see you know what's on the Pac-12 network and following on my phone if I see him come up I'm like oh I got I got to stop what I'm doing I'm watching this he's just been electric it's been fun to watch and as has the entire offense um, you know it's been fun to see the guys like Johnny Olmstead who's you know had struggles in the past and been a, been a consistent contributor but not a 300-plus hitter like he has been this year. He's just taking that big step forward. So it's been fun for me to watch, knowing where some of these kids have come from and, you know, some of the pieces that weren't expected to do much and suddenly how how, how well they've played this year. But you guys have a huge series coming up this weekend with Arizona State. We hope the fans can come out in full force, make it a great home-filled atmosphere for you guys. You guys have played phenomenal at home so far this season. But got to finish it off with uh, two more series, one at home against Arizona State, one on the road at Arizona before you go to Scottsdale for the Pac-12 tournament. But, you know, we've taken up way too much time of your time. You know, it's supposed to be a 10 to 15 minute interview. But, you know, it's, like I said, it's so much fun getting to chat with you. It's always always a great conversation. We appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Dato Download podcast. Uh, and we really appreciate you, you, uh, you know, everything that you've done for the program so far to make it more, more entertaining, more exciting and get everybody excited about watching this baseball team as well. Well, thank you guys. And like I said, anytime uh, I'm grateful to be here working with these coaches, uh, this great program and the kids make it fun. Like I said, they, they've just been awesome. And uh, you know, I'm excited for them and uh you know, you keep talking about Arizona State in Arizona. We we got Bakersfield tomorrow, okay? And we have to keep our eyes down because, uh, you know, that's important for us. And uh, the most important day is the one today, and then tomorrow will be that. And then we'll try to get on a little string here and get ready for Sun Devils. But I do want to say this. Thank you guys for having me. The crowds have been great, man. You know what I mean? And you know what's cool? They're out here like supporting the kids, man. They're they're like into it. They're like, they're not yelling at the kids for missing a bunt or you know what I mean? Like they're just like they're out here and they're rooting us on. And and it's been really fun to uh turn around a couple times and go, like, boy, there's a lot of people in these stands. And so um the kids have earned that. So yeah, 
You guys that are out there listening to this, get your rear ends to Dado this weekend. We'd love to see you. So thank you guys. If you build it, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Uh, with, with that, we're going to jump into our break. Thanks so much to, to Travis Jewett for joining us. And then Jack and I will be back, take a little bit deeper look at the past weekend and look forward to this week's matchups, including that Bakersfield game that's coming up in the midweek as well. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. If you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them into podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put Dato Download or the Baseball Pod in the headline or Shotgun and Jack, whatever it is. Make sure it gets directed to us. We did have a review of the Dato Download podcast this week. We'll read that next week. I don't have that pulled up here in front of I was told Chris was going to send it to me. It didn't happen. Uh, but, you know, we're excited that you guys are listening and enjoying it. Make sure you're sharing it with all your friends, letting them know, hey, you, if you like USC baseball, you got to check out the Dato Download podcast, especially after you hear interviews like that with Travis Jewett. That was so much fun. Uh, we continued talking to him for another 10 minutes afterwards. We took up way too much of his time. So we're going to try to keep this section a little bit shorter, even though we want to kind of recap two weeks. Jack, you know, I hope you had a great break. But let's get to work. Let's start with two weeks ago. You know, let's look back at what happened for USC. You know, it was, it was a tough week. We didn't get a chance to go over this, but I had a ton of notes already. You know, they were going to play UC San Diego. Um, they win that game. They jump out to an early 3-0 lead and just kind of rode that throughout the rest of the game. I um, mean, you know, the, the bullpen, Eric Hammond pitching for the first time in the midweek, pitched pretty well, pitching to the fifth, fifth inning. Not the best effort. But his stats probably looked a little bit better than he pitched because Fisher Johnson came in and got him out of a bases loaded jam. That was really huge for him. And they ended up getting that win. Then they go to the weekend, riding the momentum of that UCLA weekend series win, riding the momentum of that midweek win. They go to Washington and had a chance and you know to do more damage. They gave away multiple games in this series. Just the bullpen couldn't hold things. And you know maybe that's a little bit of what we talked about uh, with with. Uh, with Seth Etherton is just, you know, the bullpen tiring down the stretch and needing to find those extra pieces that can give you some extra innings. But, you know, they, they had an opportunity. Um, uh, what, would, what kind of stood out in your mind over that Washington series 
Uh, what were the big big takeaways for you besides just that hey, USC had a chance and they kind of blew it? Well, I mean, it was that you were you were really spot on about the bullpen. That the, the Trojans were relying on these big arms in high leverage situations that had been so good for them, like Garrett Clark, like Kyle Wish, like Josh Blum. And Wish goes one and two thirds on Friday, throws twenty eight pitches. And then has to pitch again on Saturday and ends up, you know, that's a game that USC loses because, you know, Wish Wish didn't get it done that day where, you know, you don't put, I don't think, a ton of blame on him. It's just, you know, USC is asking these relievers to do a lot. Um, and, in you know, coming into to that week where they had four games, even this week uh, where they had to play five games, it's just a lot adding up down the stretch on these arms. And, and that's what stood out for me is they just couldn't hold those leads. And you would assume it's because the bullpen is tired. Yeah, they had a huge bases clearing triple by Ethan Hedges, of all people. Not Austin Overn this time, but Ethan Hedges. But then they gave him a couple home runs. They let the tying run score in the bottom of the ninth after not getting a runner in a second with no outs in the top of the ninth and not being able to get that insurance run. That ended up being huge. Um, and again, you know, we talked about the bullpen kind of being worn down, but Tyler Strongsburg struggled early for the third week in a row, and he didn't give him any length like he had the previous ones. And then this past weekend, he, you know, he gets scratched with a back issue. So that's something definitely got to keep an eye on going forward for USC. You know, he's been a workhorse for him throughout the early parts of the season, giving him consistently six, seven innings. And last couple you know, weekends, that hasn't been the case. So those arms have been used a little bit even more. I thought something that stood out to me is that Kate Naoki just wasn't as sharp in that Washington six walks when he's been a guy that barely, you know, walks one or two guys at max per outing, um, but they also got hurt with their defense. You know, they had an opportunity to get out uh, of the inning and weren't able to get a tailor-made double play ball, and Mark, Martin Grizzlonic boots it. Instead of the inning being over, Aoki's still on the mound. He gets a strikeout, but then there's a walk, a two-run single. He gets pulled for Eric Hammond. So if you get that, that double play, suddenly he's back out for another inning, and maybe he gets a couple outs before you bring in Eric Hammond. But that's a, a potentially a full inning uh, less for the bullpen to work. And those were the type of things that kind of added up as this this that series went on is, okay, your offense was really good at the beginning, but couldn't get that extra run home at the end. And then the bullpen wasn't good. Your starting pitcher doesn't. So all the small things seem to add up against him, and that's how you end up getting swept in a series. Because then on Sunday, you know, Jared Ingman was just really good at the beginning – they had their chances against the bullpen. Left runners on second and third in the eighth inning. They loaded the bases, I think, in the ninth inning. And, uh, you know, they couldn't get – I think they got one run home. Um, but, you know, they just weren't able to capitalize on the opportunities. And that's been the difference. That's what it was like a lot in the past for USC. It's like there's chances out there and they don't get it done. But that's been the difference for this year's team for me is that, like, when they need to get a guy in from third or less than two outs, they find a way to get it done. You know, they need to make a play defensively to get off the field. They get it done. They need to make, you know, they're not walking that extra batter on the on the mound that sets you up to to give up an extra run that ties the game instead of it being a, you know, a, a one, you having a one-run lead on a two-run homer, you know, instead of a tie game on a three-run homer. Those type of things that kind of add up, USC has been really good at. But in that series against Washington, it seemed like all those small things kind of added up against them, and that's how they ended up getting swept. 
Yeah, you know, it feels weird to, to go to you know go back to this week. We were just talking with with Travis Judas, like this, the team fig- refigured it out this weekend against mm-hmm. Oregon. But that was the big issue, and that was the issue in the Tuesday game as well at Angel Stadium. They the Trojans left twelve runners on base in that game, and you know they were they were down seven nothing early. But you think about it, you bring at least you know a couple of those runners in, and the Trojans might still win that game. Um, and you know during that stretch where USC lost four straight for the first time all year, and then they lost another for the first time all year to, to lose five straight going into the Oregon series. That was just the problem is they were hitting, but they just weren't hitting when they really needed to with two outs with runners in scoring position. You know, we've mentioned that they turned that around against Oregon, but that, that was the big issue. So it was a combination of the bullpen being tired and then also the offense just not capitalizing and doing the little things right in the big scenarios that I think is, that's the big reason why they ended up going on the five game skid. Yeah, and then you you talked about the Long Beach uh, game, twelve strikeouts. Great, uh, you know, how was the atmosphere in Angel Stadium? Looked like it was a great atmosphere. I mean, it's twenty five bucks a ticket, but they closed off basically the outfield to make it out all kind of you know swarm together behind the plate, and it seemed like it was a pretty good atmosphere there. Yeah, you know, it was a cool atmosphere. It's weird being in a major league stadium with that few amount of fans because of where <laughs> it was limited. But it like it was condensed behind home plate, so it, it was it was a fun uh, atmosphere. Um, and, and you know, the air kind of got sucked out a bit after the grand slam and the Trojans allowing seven runs pretty early on. But you know, they they were into it. Um, it just it just felt weird to see that many empty seats with such a condensed area behind home plate. Yeah, unfortunately, Jay Nagasi struggled again. They still have not been able to get him on track. I think that's a, a big concern for them. A guy that could really give them a boost if they could get him figured out in the last few weeks of the season, just to, to be able to give another a pitcher that can give you length. They give you two, three, four innings at a time um, because of the issues that they've had. Uh, Nate Clow, Clo, I can never remember how to pronounce his name. Nate Clo um, came on and pitched in that game. I thought that was interesting because he has just has not been a guy they've used at all this season. He had a strong inning. Hoopengarner had a strong inning. Those were the positive things that I took away from that game uh, against Long Beach. And then we saw Klo, uh against Oregon, and he pitched really well, too. Yeah, you know, Fisher Johnson was a big standout at the Long Beach game as well. And, you know, maybe it wasn't his most efficient day, but on, uh, in a game where the Trojans had to pull Agassi early, where they had guys that were really tired after the Washington series, Fisher Johnson went a career-long three and a third innings. And, you know, they still didn't get the win, but you think about how that set them up for this weekend, just being able to eat that many outs. I mean, he went out in there and got 10 outs for USC when they were just kind of starving, trying to get through that, that, that full nine inning game. So I thought he was a standout as well, but yeah, Clo is a guy that, you know, we talked with Etherton about trying to find another guy in the pen that you can rely on. And now he's thrown twice this week after not appearing in a single game on the mound earlier coming into that game on Tuesday. Yeah. So that's a positive sign for USC going forward, move to Wednesday they go to Cal State Fullerton. Cal State Fullerton is leading the Big West, is going to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, because of that, I, I think they will still, even if they fall a couple games in the last couple weekends, I think they would still get in as an at-large as of right now. We'll see where that RPI goes. But they're leading by, uh, I believe, a two-and-a-half games, maybe even um, in the Big West. So leading the, leading the way, they've been so much better than they have the last couple of years. Credit to Jason Dietrich, the head coach there. He's done a phenomenal job with that team. Taking over last year, they were still bad, but this year has been completely different. But in this game, USC, I felt like, gave away opportunities in this one too. You know, Eric Hammond goes, pitches into the fifth inning, and error keeps that inning alive. And then a three-run double, bases-clearing double, ends up kind of changing the direction of the game. When it had been a one-nothing game, suddenly it's four-nothing, and this was a pitcher's duel basically the entire way um, with USC's bats not doing too much. 
Yeah, Hammond, through the most pitches he had ever thrown at the collegiate level, 78, and he only gave up two hits. I mean, he's got the lowest batting average against of any pitcher in the USC starting rotation. And when you're only giving up two hits and one of them is that backbreaking double for no earned runs when, when he gave up, you know, all four of the runs that USC did allow in the game, that just sucks as a pitcher, um, especially a guy that you're trying to get going, coming back off Tommy John. He's able to give you more length than he ever has pitch count wise um, and really limiting the damage. But with the air, now he's got to make, you know, keep making more pitches and, and then things kind of fall there. And USC just could not add enough runs to, to be able to come back from the four runs that he gave up in that inning. So now USC's on a five-game losing streak. It looks like the postseason is pretty much going to be done for. Hey, it's still a great season for USC. They've exceeded expectations. You know, shut it down. This is over. Not so fast. Not so fast. Oregon comes in. Oregon's been playing well coming into this series. You know, they are coming off a, a series win over Washington uh, or Arizona State, excuse me. They have won, you know, um, and they lost a midweek to Oregon State, but they have basically won their last three weekends, I believe it was, and that includes uh, against Stanford. So, you know, they beat the best team in the Pac-12. They're coming off of another of one of the top three teams right now in Arizona State. So they were rolling. And then they come into USC, and Blake Sodderson says, I don't care. I don't care what you've done in the past. You haven't faced me on a Friday night. I'm throwing my first Pac-12 Friday night. I'm jacked up. Let's go. I'm going to be the Pac-12 Pitcher of the Week. What do you got now, Oregon? And Blake Sodderson just shoves. So, you know, I, I thought that was, you know, first you text me and let me know, hey, the the, the starting rotation is being switched up there. You know, they're starting Sodderson, and you're like, Oh, that's an interesting move to move him up two days after he started on Sunday last week. Obviously, uh, Tyler Stromsborg, we find out, has a back issue. And, you know, he's getting pushed back in the rotation. Initially was going to start on Sunday. That ended up not happening. We'll talk about that in a second. But Stromsborg gets filled in and goes seven innings. I mean, just a hell of a performance. Career, I think career high 11 Ks, is that right? Uh, you know, giving up one earned run to an offense that had been rolling, an offense that can hit the ball out of the, out of the park. and he shuts them down and gives USC the open, the win in the opener uh, against number 17, Oregon. Yeah, I, I was surprised when they sent him out for the sixth inning because I was like, wow, they're, they're testing their luck here. He's been so good through five, but the top of the order is coming back up. Uh, are they going to send him back out there? They end up doing it, and I say, he doesn't get the career high strikeouts in the sixth. And I'm like, okay, well, unfortunately, you know, we're not going to see a career high today. And then he's going out for the seventh, and, and I was really shocked by that. He's got two outs, the leadoff hitter coming up, uh, Riku Nishida for Oregon, who had only struck out at that point 14 times all season. So I'm like, I oh, guess the career high isn't happening if he gets Nishida out here. Well, Nishida hits a home run, and then he strikes out the next batter to end the seventh inning, as well as get his 11th strikeout, which is a career high. Didn't Not a career high in pitches. He threw 112, but he threw around 130 at CSUN one time, or a couple times at least. Um, but no, that was really big. We talked about the bullpen being pretty tired and they'd end up having to pitch a lot the next two days, but Soderton being able to go seven full innings uh, and strike out 11, only allow one run on six hits. That was so big, especially on shorter rest than he's had all season, which I thought was, was really interesting. Yeah. And Oregon, you know, Jay Stoffel has been there Friday guys, been outstanding for him. They actually moved him back to Saturday. I don't know the exact reason on that. I haven't had a chance to check in with um, when the Oregon sources, any of the Oregon staff, uh, but they, they make that decision and it backfires for him because USC takes the opener. Now you go to Saturday and you have a chance to, to see, uh, you know, Oregon, when they get going, what they can do. You know, they got on Caden Aoki, they scored seven runs against him. Uh, you know, 
This one was one, though, that USC had a chance. They had the lead and kind of let this one get away, too. Yeah, and, and, you know, it was late runs that were scored against Aoki, and he didn't have his best stuff at the beginning of the game. Started to figure it out a little bit more, and USC hit three solo home runs to make it 3-1, but it was that sixth inning where they were able to tie it uh, on Aoki, made it a 3-3 game, and then out in the seventh inning, the Ducks were able to add four more runs after USC had retaken the lead, and there was no scoring after that, and it finished 7-5, so it kind of felt like... uh, And, you know, they sent maybe Aoki out a little bit too long. You know, they realized they might need him to go a little further. He throws 113 pitches, and it was one of those last ones where there was the double down the line, and and the Trojans lost it on kind of that one pitch. Yeah, and they had a chance. I mean, I thought it was impressive in that in the sixth inning where they give up the lead, let them tie to answer back immediately with the Ryan Jackson double to retake the lead. Couldn't do that again in the seventh. So they lose that, forcing a rubber match. USC improves to 4-0 on the season in rubber matches. Um, by you know beating Oregon. Now I mentioned Jay Stoffel. He did not end up pitching, so Oregon had to you know had a similar situation where their ace didn't go either. They basically are Johnny Holstaffen in on Sunday. So same as USC. Eric Hammon starts, but you know he's not going long after you know starting on Wednesday. He gives them two really good innings, and then you know they jump out to a huge lead early against the you know Oregon starter. Uh, and we like we talked about with with uh, with Travis Jewett is just two out hits. You know, a ton of two out hits out there. And, you know, I, I think the the um, Austin Overn hit by pitch gets them their first run and just kind of it kept steamrolling from there in that second inning. They score six runs and kind of take the pressure off, but they kept adding. And that was important, I thought, was to keep adding because Oregon does have a, you know, explosive offense. They got guys that can hit the ball out of the park. Even if Saban Sabalos is banged up right now, you saw him basically – half jogging down to first base in a double play. And people are like, how is he not hustling? He's got a hamstring injury. He's just in the lineup for his bat right now. He can't really run. Um, But USC was able to take advantage and get a big win and a big series win to help boost them back up a little bit in the Pac-12 standings. Yeah, it, it was it was a really big deal to see USC, A, the pitching, being able to step up. Hammond was thrown on three days rest after throwing 78 pitches most of his collegiate career as a guy coming off Tommy John. If he had given USC one inning, it would have been a big deal. He ended up giving him two and started off Oregon through those first two innings without allowing a run. And the big difference for me in this series was the free 90s. On Friday, a game that USC won, Oregon pitching walked seven guys and hit three and then on top of the two out hits that USC got yesterday Oregon pitching walked five guys and hit three guys so you're talking about the two games that USC won 18 free passes allowed by Oregon as well as they had a couple errors in the mix I think it was three yesterday if if USC is able to get the clutch hits and you're allowing them to get on base for free uh, I think that was a big deal for USC all right so where does USC stand right now that's the big question USC is now number 66 in the RPI. That's not good enough. That's not going to do enough to get you into the NCAA tournament. That's down three spots from last week, even with the Oregon uh, win. They actually only dropped one spot the previous week after getting swept by Washington, but that's how the RPI works. Don't ask me. I'm not a mathematician with all that. It doesn't make much sense. It doesn't help the West Coast or the RPI. It's a basketball formula that they try to translate to baseball. It doesn't exactly work. Um, but USC now 27, 20, and one overall, 13 and 11 in Pac 12. They have a chance with, um, I think it's two more games. I got to check to make sure with the numbers and the potential of what, how many games they can play in the Pac 12 tournament. If they get two more wins, I believe it is, they will have a winning record, regardless of how the rest of the season goes. 
it will be the third winning season for USC since 20, 2005. So in almost 20 years, it'll be just the third winning season. Now, USC's had multiple 500 seasons in there in the mix uh, where they've landed at 28-28. But if USC can get to 29 wins, I think that they will be able to finish uh, with a winning record, which is a heck of an accomplishment in the first year of Andy, Andy Stankiewicz. And now whatever else you can add is is, is money in, in the bank, basically, and is great. But they're sixth place in the Pac-12 right now. They're five games back at first place. doesn't really matter how many games back there are. They're not going to catch Stanford. But the positioning it is important because everyone's kind of still in the mix to make the Pac-12 tournament. But at 13 and 11, it's going to take a heck of a, of a, a collapse for USC not to make the Pac-12 tournament. If they get one or two more wins, I think that will lock them in for sure. And if they, if they win their last two series – now, it's going to be tough. Arizona State's coming off of getting swept by Stanford. They're going to want to get back on track. They're a solid team. And then you go to Arizona, and it's a spacious ballpark. It is tough to pitch in. You're going to see triples, uh, by, whether it be by Ethan Hedges, whether it be by Connor Cliff. It's going to happen. You're going to see whether it's Austin O'Vern hitting five of them in a weekend. I'm not putting it out of the question because the it is, it's just a spacious ballpark, and you have to play to the ballpark. If you hit the ball in a liner in the gap, you can get a triple. So it, it's a tough place to play just because it doesn't play like anywhere else in the Pac-12. But say all that to say, if USC can win their last two series, they will get to at least 17 wins in the Pac-12. You know, if they, they go two and one both weekends, they will finish 17 and 13. In the, in the last, you know, half decade and as far back as I back as I stretched so far, no team has not made the NCAA tournament when getting 17 wins in the Pac-12. Now, the RPI, and I think if they win those series, the RPI will go up. It's going to be a question mark for sure. They need to take care of business against Bakersfield. They need to take care of business in the, those midweek games to make sure. And then when they go to the Pac-12 tournament, hey, getting an extra win or two would be great. But if you get to 17 wins, no one has been left out of the NCAA tournament with 17 Pac-12 wins. So what does that tell you about these next two weeks? That's how crucial they definitely are. Uh, USC cannot reach the top 45 in the RPI, according to Boyd's World's needs report. You know, even if they went out, they can't reach the top 45. So they're going to be in that that gray area. You know, if you're in the top 45, that basically says, hey, you're going to get in as at large um, from a major conference. But if you're not, then it's it's a, a it's kind of a toss up. I think USC would get the benefit of the doubt, but winning on the road, particularly at Arizona, would definitely help because they, they struggled so much uh, um, on the road this season. So that takes us this week. They got to play Bakersfield on Tuesday. They're coming off back-to-back wins over Long Beach State, but they've struggled throughout the season. I think they're 16 and 26, I believe it was. Um, you know, so that's a team you have to be. You just got to take care of business. It's going to be an RPI drag if you lose to them. It's going to be an RPI drag just playing them a little bit. Uh, you may drop a spot even if you win, but you got to take care of business. And then you welcome Arizona State. This is an old-school rivalry, actually. You know, I don't know if you know this, Jack, but Arizona State and USC generally just didn't get along in baseball. There were some bitches-clearing issues that has happened a couple times. Um, you know, the, the head coaches didn't necessarily like each other. It was pretty contentious for a good, good stretch of time, you know, from all the way back in the Barry Bonds days, you know, all the way up to USC beating Arizona State in the 1998 National Championship, the 21-14 game. So it's going to be a huge series, last chance for fans to come out and support them in the Pac-12, uh, so at home at Dado Field. So hopefully all you guys are out there and are coming out. 
But what what do you think kind of is the key for them going forward in this Arizona State series? Well, I think, I think the, the big question I have is what's the starting rotation going to look like for this week? You know, everyone is pretty taxed. It seems like the only guy that really didn't throw this weekend was Jaden Agassi, but he struggled recently. So do you feel comfortable putting him out on, on the mound on Tuesday? And then what's it going to look like this weekend? Is Stromsburg healthy? Even if he is, is he going on Friday? Or did Soderston, who literally just won Pac-12 Pitcher of the Week, making his first Friday start of the year, do you throw him out there again on Friday? Uh, do you, you know, see where you try and put Aoki? I'm just curious to see, you know, where USC ends up on this. Uh, you think that maybe Soderson has earned himself that Friday start, but if Stromsburg is healthy, you don't want to let him rest too long. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see. And I'm just curious as to how USC is going to work this one out. And it's going to be, you know, trying to like putting together a puzzle. They're going to just have to figure it out for these last seven games. And I think you're exactly right. If Stromberg's healthy, I put him back on Friday, and let me tell you why. Because then you get that extra day of rest to Soderstam, who's coming off of a short week, to potentially Eric Hammond, who's coming off a short week, You know, depending on what they do in this midweek with who they start. Um, so if, 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 if he's healthy, I think I would throw him out there. Now, it'd be great if you can get him back to where he was you know, a month ago versus what you've seen the last couple of times out, um, and that would be huge for them. Now, Arizona State – They've got two front-end guys in Ross Dunn and Christian Curtis who are high-profile guys, you know, high-profile transfers that came in. Ross Dunn from Florida State, Christian Curtis, like I'm blanking on where he came from off the top of my head. But they've struggled recently. Ross Dunn's a big lefty. He's got 75 strikeouts and 55 innings, but his ERA is up to 475. Christian Curtis's is up to 769. Both those guys walk way too many guys. So USC needs to be patient at the plate, make them throw strikes, and – ride up those pitch counts so they can get to the bullpen. There's a couple good arms in the bullpen, uh, most notably Owen Stevenson, San Francisco transfer, who has been kind of their swing guy. He started a little bit for him. He's closed. He's got their most saves. He's probably the most important pitcher this weekend for Arizona State. But it's somebody else that came from the University of San Francisco. I don't know if you know the name Luke Kieschel. He might be the front runner for the Pac-12 player of the year. He has been uh, phenomenal. I know there's a couple guys from Stanford that are in that mix as well. Um, but – He's come in and been, you know, has changed the lineup completely. He's been terrific for them, and they got Ryan Campos, their catcher, back this past weekend. He had been out for three or four weeks. They got him back, so the lineup is deep. The Arizona State lineup can hit. They put up some big numbers. They got Keisha's got 16 homers and 50 RBIs. Jacob Tobias, their left-handed first baseman, 10 homers and 57 RBIs. They got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight guys in their lineup have at least six homers. I mean, they can hit the ball in the ballpark. And so they're going to challenge USC with their bats. So it's going to be, you know, how well is Stromsburg? How is that bullpen? If that bullpen is is taxed and given up, we might see another 21-14 game, you know, like the 98 championship. Um, because USC, I think they should be able to put some runs up against Arizona State too. But huge series weekend. I think Andy Stankowitz put it best. You know, after the series win against uh, Oregon, he said, it's right in front of us. We've just got to stay on it. We put ourselves in a solid position. But it ain't going to be any easier. That's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be difficult. They've got a couple difficult weekends left, but they have a great opportunity, and that's all you can ask for, especially after what this program has kind of endured over the last 20 years of not being successful. So we'll see what they can do this, this weekend and then going forward as well. 
Yeah, Arizona State, a team that's lost six of their last seven. But one of the big differences between the Trojans and the Sun Devils, Arizona State doesn't have to play a midweek game this week. So they have a full week to rest and try and um, regather themselves after the sweep at the hands of, of the Cardinal. That's a big deal. You know, This late in the season, you get a full week of rest before having to play USC. That's, that's a big deal. We'll see uh, if it has any impact for sure. Maybe there's a little rust. There's always that that dilemma. You want to keep playing? Do you want to get a little rest? Uh, but that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Dado Download Podcast, part of the Pear Style Podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my co-host, Jack Smith. Thanks for taking the time, Jack. We're saying thank you to you guys for listening. And also, thank you very much to our guest, Travis Jewett. Such a fun conversation. Uh, we really appreciate him taking the time. We appreciate you guys for listening. And we, we hope that you guys enjoy it and that you also will like, share, subscribe, leave us that review, you know, all those things. And we hope that you can join us for the next episode of the Dato Download Podcast. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.